G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We are turning our attention today to vaccination and with controversy continuing to rage around the politics, around the loss of freedoms and the effects of lockdowns, we are turning our attention today to Christians and the science. Now, it's undoubtedly one of the hottest topics sparking protests on the streets, an online firestorm of criticisms over fears about the government's COVID-19 vaccination response. And as you know, I do like to promote the Christian voices, and we've featured a number of conversations with the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. It's not always been popular that the Christian doctors are broadly supportive of the government's vaccination program. It's good for all of us to know there are Christian voices and they are in the vaccination conversation addressing some of the very deeply held concerns. Our special guest today, Dr James Yun, manages allergic disorders in both children and adults and immunological conditions in adults. He is a consultant physician in allergy, clinical immunology and immunopathology. Dr. Yun is also a clinical senior lecturer at the University of Sydney and a conjoint senior lecturer at the Western Sydney University and is active in teaching medical students and trainee doctors. Dr. James Yun is also a Christian and is part of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. James Yun, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Uh, James, uh, before we get into any of the science, you're in Sydney and so you're experiencing lockdown. How are things going for you? Uh, yeah, um, well, uh, a, bit, a bit of a disclaimer before I begin. Um, first of all, I need to say that I, my, my views here do not represent New South Wales Health, Sydney Uni or Western Sydney Uni. <clears throat> okay, so look, um, I'm sure a number of listeners here are listening um, from Sydney um, just in terms of what's going on in Sydney, I'm sure you've, you've heard a lot of stuff, but I've uh, just looked at the stats, and uh, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. But as of two days ago, there were you know, 19,000 active cases in Australia, majority of which are in Sydney, 951 patients in hospital, 162 patients in ICU. That's quite a big number, and that's about 5% um, of people who are uh, infected is in hospital and about 1% in ICU. Now, I, I'd like to take a step back a little bit and look at what it was like two weeks ago. Um, we had 8,450 active cases at the time with 500 in hospital and 80 in ICU. So the proportion is about the same, <clears throat> but we have about half the number of what we had two weeks ago. Now, what does that mean? I mean, it means um, if the numbers continue to uh, um, rise at this rate, then in two weeks, we're going to double what we have now. That's a bit scary because hospital is already um, at capacity and we're coping, but I think we're just coping. And if we double 
the numbers, that's going to put a lot of strain. And that, I, I think a lot of doctors and other healthcare workers are um, feeling the pressure, and um, especially ambulance and other um, service workers also feel enormous amount of pressure and um, fatigue as well. And so, yeah, we're really it, feeling it. So, but the what, yeah, James, what you're saying is the numbers continue to rise, the number of infections, but. The numbers in ICU are actually fairly stable. Is that what you're saying, according to percentages? Um, no, percentage of the total cases. So oh, if right. you have 8,000 cases, 1% in hospitals, what, 80? If you have 20,000, that's 200. Now, if we double what we have now in two weeks, that's 400. If we triple that, you know, 600. And if we quadruple that, then we've got, we filled up entire ICU bed in New South Wales with COVID patients. And that, that's a bit scary, not bit, quite scary actually, um, because you might say, well, you know, I'm young and I'm not going to get really sick, but it's almost like having what, the capacity we have. So even before COVID-19, as you know, everybody was talking about how the hospital system's already stretched. But if you fill up the half the hospital with COVID-19, guess what? We just have the capacity that we had before. So same, you know, people still have heart attack, stroke and cancer and all sorts of things. That's still going to happen through COVID-19, but now we've just halved the amount of availability. And that's, I think, where it's going to get us, in top of, on top of COVID as well. Okay, so what you're saying is we are actually headed, and uh, particularly this will be uh, Sydney and perhaps what is developing in Victoria, but uh, for Sydney, uh, the way the trajectory looks, you're in for some tough times over the coming weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to see the numbers um, uh, stabilise or fall, or what we quite say flatten the curve but at this point we're not seeing that so um, yeah it's, it's a bit of a tough time ahead for everyone um, especially for medical doctors. Okay okay hard times ahead. Uh, James mm. I introduced you as an immunologist I wonder whether you can give us a little description here of the expertise that you have as you apply your own thoughts to what's going on in Australia right now. Right so um, I'm not a vaccinologist I'm an immunologist um, what it does mean is I see patients with immune system problems, allergies. So with the COVID vaccine, I've had a lot of phone calls, especially in the last few weeks, regarding people's anxiety around the vaccine, uh, anaphylaxis, so severe allergic reactions to vaccine, um, other adverse events to vaccine. Um, a number of my patients are immunosuppressed, so they are genuinely worried whether they're going to have a problem. So yeah, a lot of those questions um, have been asked. Um, because I've got a background um, uh, specialty in immunology, I understand how the immune system works, um, so how the vaccines work, and also um, some of the adverse events that's associated with that. So um, I guess the way I think about vaccine, and there's a lot of controversies around it, as you know, um, I, I'd like to bore the problems to a simple level, which is understandable. Um, because then it helps you to understand how to solve the more complex questions. It looks like if you, you can't do calculus unless you know addition and subtraction. So um, I, I'd like to bring it down to that level. And I think that really at the end of the day, the whole vaccine controversy really starts from answering two questions or the answer to the controversy will start from two, answering two simple questions. And well, three. One is, um, is the disease severe? And I think it is. I've just highlighted um, hospital problems the hospitals facing will face um, so I think we can agree that um, even if it doesn't get you it'll get the health system and it'll get you a roundabout way or somebody you love in a roundabout way because it'll put an enormous amount of strain on hospital system second question is is the vaccine effective because the whole point of vaccine is to prevent the disease 
So if vaccine is effective, then um, it, it will uh, go a long way to try to alleviate that problem we have. And then the third question is, is vaccine safe? If vaccine is effective and dangerous, of course, then we have a problem. But if vaccine is effective and safe, then really then the question becomes a lot easier to answer. Um, which would be then, why wouldn't you take it? Well, we might spend a little bit of time around that. And uh, I know listeners will like your thinking when you say, let's boil this down to the things that are important in the conversation here. Uh, Is it severe? Is the vaccine effective? Is the vaccine safe? And we'll come back to some of those. But as an immunologist and uh, the way that vaccines interact with our own uh, personal systems, uh, you know, the things that are keeping us healthy and strong, and, of course, the th- the threat or the perceived threat that so many will have around uh, the dangers or some of the side effects that could come from vaccines. I wonder whether you can give us a, an, in a nutshell, uh, idea about uh, immunology and uh, how our immune systems are supposed to uh, react with a medical response like a vaccine. Right. So... Um, when you get exposed to a virus um, or vaccine for the same matter, so your immune system will um, try to contain that and um, it will develop a host of different responses. And one of the big ones are antibodies. So it's a protein that your body makes to try to fight off infection. And and the whole idea behind vaccine is to develop that antibody response so that when you come in contact with the virus, <clears throat> your immune system will um, clear it effectively before you get sick. Um, and the, also the idea behind that is after you develop antibodies and other cells that retain um, the ability to kill the virus, um, then once it's cleared, they don't keep going and start causing other problems. They, they just sort of calm down and then stay on the background but retain memory so that next time it comes in contact, then they will fight it off. Um, so that's the, how the whole vaccine re- um well, that's, that's, the, that's the idea behind vaccine, so that before you get sick, you, your immune system is ready. Um, and so uh, with COVID-19, if you get an infection, yes, you, you'll have some immune response afterwards. Um, but the problem is you, you could die from it or you could have a lot of um, complications as a result. And we wanted to be in a situation where um, you want to have that immune response against virus without getting the virus itself. Okay, we spent a little bit of time talking about the severity of what's ahead, the idea that there's a trajectory going forward uh, leading us to the idea that especially in Sydney and perhaps throughout New South Wales there is a crisis that is looming. Let's talk about the effectiveness of uh, the vaccines and of course uh, there's the AstraZeneca vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine. Uh, the effectiveness now basically 18 months into the pandemic uh, is there some light as to uh, how effective these uh, vaccines have been around the world and are likely to be here in Australia yeah look I think that's a great question and it is a bit of a moving field but let's go back to the um, vaccine study the original one Um, so it came out a, a little less than a year ago, but you have to remember now the vaccine's been around for a year. So it's, you know, we've got a fair bit of data. Um, so the original study looked at 43,000 participants in the Pfizer vaccine study, for example, and it showed that um, it reduces the infection by, symptomatic infection by 95%. So in other words, if 100 people are going to get it, if you're vaccinated, or only five people are going to get it. So it's not 100% effective, but it's pretty good at reducing the infection. Um, now, Delta variant put a bit of... Um, <coughs> um, I guess curveball into the whole thing 
um, in that it's not as effective as the original um, data. On top of that, six months down the track after vaccination, some of the antibody response might be wearing it off. So the, again, the efficacy could be reduced. But again, we're looking at reduced efficacy, not no efficacy. So um, it's almost like having a um, glass half full and you say, well, it's half empty, therefore we're not going to take it. I would say, well, half full is still half full, better than completely empty, which is what you would be in if you got no vaccine. So um, there are some, a lot of studies coming out on the efficacy um, and we're working to try and work out how we can best combat those reduction in efficacy and that's where overseas they're giving third doses and so forth but you have to remember that i mean 40 percent of world's population have received one dose and about 5.3 billion doses have been given that's awful lot of drugs that's been given i don't know too many drugs that's been given at that level so it's a pretty um there's a lot of data out there so it's unprecedented the amount of studies uh, the amount of doses that have been given and uh, that actually sheds some extra light uh, on the uh, the effectiveness of the vaccine before we go any further and just to mention uh, you might be rubbing up against your microphone there a little uh, just uh, might be take care on that because i think listeners will be able to hear that so if you can uh, just adjust that there james james i mentioned that you are a christian doctor that you're a part of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. Uh, there is a, a response that's come from the CMDFA on a position on vaccines. Uh, of course, that doesn't suit everybody, but I wonder if you've got a, a way you can reflect uh, what the, the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia position is on vaccination. Yeah, so... Um, uh as an organization, we broadly support the practice of immunization as safe and effective. So we recommend vaccination program. Um, it's a pretty, um, it's like an umbrella statement. Um, and, but on balance, we believe the good outweighs the risk. And um, and so, again, it boils down to the two question: If vaccine is safe and effective, then yes, we would support it. Um, and we th- believe that uh, if you look at all the data, it is. So that that's... Um, that's about broad, as broad as I can get. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it is broad, and uh, and for listeners who want to read that statement, uh, that's available on the CMDFA uh, website uh, in the Luke's Journal. Um, let's talk about something that will be very, very controversial, James. And I mentioned this as I was uh, promoting our conversation uh, just over half an hour ago, the idea that uh, you've come to a a special opinion about the vaccination program and uh, the way that it has developed so quickly because the idea of it developing so quickly has for been been for a lot of people the real sticking point that this has been rushed this has been too fast i wonder if you've got uh, some insight here into your perception of the way that the vaccine program has come into place around the world yeah, so I'd like to answer that at two levels. Uh, one is spiritual level. The other is, I guess, um, scientific level. <clears throat> I think scientific level I'll start with because it's a bit... Um, well, I'll just start with that. Um, so let's go back and think about tuberculosis. It's been around for hundreds of years. And um, we've got a few medicine, but really not that many. And the medicine's a bit archaic, really. It's a bit sad. Uh, and it, it's the sad part of fact of the life that most of TB is actually in developing countries. And so there's really no money to uh, – people really don't want to invest an awful lot of um, uh, money into the investigational drugs there. It, I, I think it's really unfortunate. You, you look, then came along HIV back in the 80s. Um, 
Do you know how many HIV drugs we have now? I mean, there are dozens. I'm, I'm talking about you know, 30, 40 different types of HIV drugs. So HIV has been only around for 30 years. But um, because the demographic it's affected, um, a lot of money has gone into the research and development. And now we have very, very effective drugs against HIV. What does that mean for vaccine development? I think the technology has always been on the background. But when it hit the pandemic, an enormous amount of funding went into development of vaccine. Um, and I think that really sped things up. So in other words, I don't think the corner's been cut. I don't think people have pulled things from the shelf and without really giving much thought. I think an awful lot of thoughts and energy and effort went into it, and it just sped things up. I think that's that's why we got there. Second level to the answer, though, I think is a spiritual. Because I remember about a year and a half ago when we were in lockdown in Sydney and we were doing church services at home, I, I distinctly remember uh, this, that our church pastor was praying for um, the pandemic to be over, and she was praying for vaccine. And I, I was really skeptical at that time point because I thought, I don't know any vaccine that can be, come up in you know, three months, six months, or however, a year or two even. Um, and then the vaccine study came along six months later. I'm like, oh, this is a little quick. But in the data looked very promising, but I thought, well, we'll just wait and see what happens in real life. Um, six months down the track, over a billion doses that's been given, and you see the number of um, infection falling in some of the countries where vaccines been given. You think, well, well actually, maybe it, it is working. And um, and that's when it occurred to me, maybe the vaccine is actually answered to prayer. Because I'm sure she's not the only one who prayed for vaccine. I'm sure she's not the only one who prayed for the pandemic to be over. And I'm sure most of us actually would have prayed for the pandemic to be over. And so I think we have to ask as, as Christian, um, ask the question, um, how is God going to deliver us and answer us in this pandemic? Could the back vaccine be the answer to prayer in helping us get out of this pandemic? I, I, th- I came to conclusion it is, because I think it is an effective and safe um, uh, way to deal with this um, infection. Okay. Is the COVID vaccine, in fact, an answer to prayer? And, of course, there's going to be lots of different dimensions, and as listeners think of that proposition, uh, there might be some who are saying, well, I've lost a relative uh, uh, who's died, or I know someone who has suffered a vaccine injury, and uh, they'll be saying, well, how can that be an answer to prayer? Well, I, I do want to invite listeners to join in the conversation. No easy answers to any of these sorts of questions, but uh, here we have a Christian doctor, immunologist, Dr. James Yuan and saying that the COVID vaccine he sees as an answer to prayer. You might like to join in our conversation today. And as I often say, James, and uh, not to you know throw us all into the deep end so much, but uh, we're open to people who might have a question or a comment or even a critique of our conversation. So we're 1-800-316-316. James, we'll come back to some of the key components. As you say, there are some very uh, basic questions that if you can get answers to them, a lot of the other challenges may fall into place as you are able to understand those questions. How severe is this pandemic? Is the vaccine effective and is the vaccine safe? Well, we wanted to take calls and I've invited you to call 1-800-316-316. You might have a question, you might have a comment, you might have a critique. Let's take some more calls. Brett is on the line from Western Australia. Hello, Brett. Welcome. Hey, how you going? Um, just a quick one. Um, Neil, I'm just wondering when it is that vision will um, 
talk to an opposing doctor, a, a doctor that opposes the vaccines, so we can get a, a view on both sides of the opinions of doctors, because um, the truth of the matter is that these vaccines have not been out long enough to even know the ramifications of what's going on. And if they say they do know, they're liars, simple, simply put. Uh, Brett, the question is a little bit to me, and uh, this is an interesting one, because uh, the pandemic has now been raging for 18 months. And uh, I've got to say that uh, while lots of people have said, uh, why don't you put on doctors with an alternative position? I've put a little condition on that. I've said, I'd love to be able to talk to a Christian doctor who can outline those alternative positions. And do you know what? It is very rare, and uh, I'm still waiting for someone who says, uh, I'm an active practicing Christian with faith, and I'm a doctor that wants to argue these other positions. Now, uh, we have had, and uh, for listeners who are wondering, well, you know, is there opportunity to speak? Of course there is, because on a talkback radio program, everyone has an opportunity to call in, and we have had some people, and we did have just a day or two ago, Someone who is a medical practitioner who called in anonymously and said, "Why are the Christian? Uh, why are the uh, alternate voices being silenced?" And as though there is pressure that is coming on uh, to people who are doctors from saying anything that goes against the government and uh, health uh, order and narrative. And uh, and as I say that, uh, I've got to say there's an openness to hear these sorts of alternatives. Uh, we are this far now into the pandemic, and I'm going to ask our, our special guest, uh, Dr. James Yun, uh, if he's aware of uh, any sort of pressure that there is on some doctors uh, or doctors in general not to speak up and say anything about alternative ideas. James, uh, your thoughts here for for that concept and, and for Brett, our, our caller, who's concerned? Well, I guess there, um, there could be pressure and it could be real or it could be perceived and that's hard to know because we don't really know what would happen if you say, well, government policy is bad, for example. Um, and and I guess there are doctors who have uh, voiced their opinion on things like ivermectin even within Australia and I don't know if they've been disciplined but there are doctors who have uh, you know raised uh, um, opinions on that. Um, and we are at liberty to debate ideas, um, and that's okay. That's completely fine from my point of view. Um, what concerns me, though, is the uh, amount of um, fear that's gone into the whole debate. And it, it's almost as if you say one thing, you'll be squashed. And um, and therefore, people only hear these sort of ideas that some are outrageously wrong in a back channel and and it sort of goes on the ground and that's why i think it's good to bring them out and say well let's look at the fact so for example ivermectin is a classic example a lot of doctors talk about well a lot of people talk about it overseas and there's some people say i don't want to take vaccine i'd rather take ivermectin but if you look at the data for ivermectin and look at kind of studies it's been done compared to kind of studies that's been done for vaccine I don't think I think it's very very difficult to argue that ivermectin is superior over vaccine in any meaningful way. We're talking about vaccine studies, looking at well forty thousand studies, people participants ivermectin, looking at two hundred cases here and there, 
Um, I'm not saying that therefore it's completely rubbish, but you know the kind of quality of data is vastly different. So if you're a, a, someone who's making a decision or recommending a treatment, and you've got a one treatment that's got very good data, so it's effectiveness and safety, compared to a, to a drug that has questionable safety and data, well, questionable effectiveness, safety a bit hard to know. Um, it then you have to at some point ask, well, is it a good idea to recommend um, a, a, a poor quality medicine over a clearly um, beneficial drug? And and then it comes down to liability. So if I say prescribe, you don't have to take vaccine and take ivermectin, and then that goes against, let's say, what government um, say you should do. And if somebody then sues me later saying, well, why did you not give me vaccine instead of ivermectin? I'm not sure if I have much legal ground to stand on. So it's multiple levels. So it's not just I'm hushed, hushed by the media or by government, but it's actually, for me anyway, it's a personal conviction that this is the right thing to do. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for your call. Brett, in Western Australia, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. I did say a question or a comment, even a critique. Let's take some more calls. David is on the line from Queensland. Hello, David. Welcome. Thank you very much. David, what are your thoughts? I have quite a few thoughts. <laughs> we better stick with the main one. Yeah, oh, well, it's all, it's, all, it's all connected. There's been a few things said there, but a good doctor... Uh, that I would would think would probably bridge on not grey areas but maybe dark areas as regards the uh, the it being tested on uh, aborted fetus cells on um, being cultured in aborted fetus cells as well. But for for me at the moment, probably one of the main things is choice. People aren't being given a choice here; they're being coerced. From a legal and moral and ethical standpoint, why is people being so coerced to take this, what is an experimental uh, medicine? Why is there so much coercion that, that is absolutely illegal? David, you're making a good point, and it's the usual conversation that on this program we concentrate on, the idea of uh, the mandatory nature of vaccines, uh, whether the government is making that mandatory or uh, handballing, as it is, I've been saying, to business uh, to work out their own way. And uh, there is uh, some issues there we've been talking about in a legal sense, and you might be able to find uh, some of the podcast conversations about those, so one just the other day with uh, Emeritus Professor, name is on the tip of my tongue, <laughs> so uh, you can find out some of those uh, those conversations that have gone before. Uh, you can listen in and, uh, and get some details about that. There is uh, an issue there. Any response from you, uh, James, for, for David? Um, a couple of my thoughts. First of all, um, I hear this a lot that it's an experimental drug. Um, and that we've got no long-term safety data. And that's true to an extent because it's been around for a little little over a year now, maybe just under a year, thereabouts. So then the next question is, at what point do you say we have long-term data? Two years, five years, ten years? It's really hard to know because, um, you know, if we're in a situation where there is no COVID-19 and we've got this drug to sort of just academic interest work out, yes, we have time, that luxury. But then if it, we don't have that luxury and it's going around and... 
you know, we, you, I just heard you talk about the effect of um, lockdown on the community, and you know, it's it's massive. So, what alternatives do we have? Do we have to stay in lockdown forever until we have long term data, or do we just come out and say let's get everybody infected and see what happens, or do we say okay, vaccine? We have about six months to one year data now. It looks pretty good. Let's take the chance because the chance of COVID nineteen is a lot worse than the chance uh, a chance of harm with COVID nineteen is a lot higher than the chance of harm from the vaccine. So when I think of safety, you always want to think of safety in terms of what are you what is it what are you comparing to. So if you if at the end of the day, if you're given the choice between the virus and the vaccine, because at the end of the day, I think that's what it boils down to. Would you rather take virus? Would you rather take vaccine? And to me, the answer is fairly clear, which is a safer option. Second okay. point on that. Oh, sorry. Yep. If you, um, oh, no, I was, just, the, I was just going yep. to say to David, I've remembered the name of uh, our guest uh, from just the other day. It was Emeritus Professor Gabriel Mowens, and we were addressing uh, the legal issues around uh, the, uh, the the nature of uh, vaccines being mandatory. So uh, if you wanted to find that particular podcast, I think it was very informative as to some of the uh, legal conditions that are going on right now and uh, whether it's in fact constitutional to make vaccines mandatory. You were making a second point, James. Sorry to... Yes, to... second point is on the mandatory. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a politician, nor do I have a strong uh, opinion one way or the other on mandatory side of things. But I do wonder, I mean, if you're... I mean, it's very easy to criticise what the government's doing and what the leaders are doing, because at the end of the day, it's we don't have to take responsibility when we criticise. But let's assume you're in charge of running the quarantine program. Three months ago in Sydney, um, you had choice to mandate vaccine for everybody who work in quarantine, um, including the limousine driver. Now, the vaccine is not 100% effective, but if the limousine driver had been vaccinated, we had 80% chance of escaping where we are now, potentially. If you knew what was going to happen three months down the track, what choice would you have made at the time? Would you say we need to uphold his freedom at the cost of what could have happened now? Or would you say I take 80% chance of preventing this will mandate everybody who works in quarantine to get the vaccine? Now, that's not the same story as community vaccine, but that's because the outbreak is sort of everywhere now. And we have to think about what you would do when, you know, when we got 70, 80% vaccination community. How would you deal with church gathering? How would you deal with a school? I mean, it's a, it's a mess. I, I, I don't have an answer for this. But again, it comes down to if vaccine is effective and safe, wouldn't it make sense to try to get as many people, ideally voluntarily vaccinated as possible? Okay. Thank you so much to David for your call. And uh, if anything came out of that answer, uh, it's that there are a lot of grey areas in all of the dimensions that come around the vaccine issue. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call from Naomi. Hello, Naomi. Hi. Naomi, what are your thoughts? I just I want to ask, I mean, I mean, just uh, my background is from a doctor's family. I'm just, I know, I know about some of our medication or everything. Well, I just say, I, I take my... Uh, Pfizer, second one. I just I don't have any problem. I'm so healthy. I'm so happy. I just I want a book for my daughter. She's too young. And then I just I want to ask. I mean, I know it's going to be safe. But the other things, what I say, if even when I take my uh, Pfizer, and then I just pray Psalm 91. If, if this is happen, I, I'm not fear because God is protect our my body. And my body is temple of God. Whatever. 
you know, people they have to take. They have to just, if you trust God, they have to trust. They have to trust him. There is no fear. If you love God, if, if you love Jesus, there is no fear. Especially if those Christians, some Christians, they don't want to take it. I say, no, take it. Because there is God beside us. He protects us. So what I just say, I'm, I book for my daughter. She's small. She's going to get it from September, the end of this year, uh, month. So what I just say, I, I just, I'm not, you know, professional, but what I say, for, especially for Christian, don't fear. If you believe God, take it and then be free. Naomi, you're you know? making a, a number of points there, and, uh, and some people are going to be challenged by those thoughts. Uh, one thing to bring out, of course, is that faith is an issue whether you take a vaccine or whether you decide not to. Uh, that's going to be very powerful. And uh, Naomi's raising issues here around uh, children and vaccine and saying she's happy to get her child vaccinated. Uh, your thoughts here into some of the things that Naomi's mentioning, James? Oh, I think she's made a really good point, and that is... Uh, a lot of um, uh, uh, anti, I guess, vaccination positions um, are heard really revolves around fear. The fear that this is going to end the world population by, you know, next year or something, or that it's going to kill you, or you're going to get blood clot and die, or, you know, how many hundreds of people have died, which is not necessarily true. Um, but it's absolutely right. It is it is striking at the heart of uh, uh, issue, which I, I, I think the um, vaccine to get vaccinated or not to get vaccinated intellectual level is actually very easy the question is at at the the issue is at the heart if the vaccine is safe and effective scientifically are you willing to take it and then you then the question of fear comes up uh, you know what is the chance that you might have a major problem so absolutely as a christian as someone um, who believe in god um, we we ought to walk in not in fear, but in faith. I, I totally agree with that, and we should pray about it and um, and just present our request to God and ask for His directions. Now, on the children vaccination, I think that's um, that's becoming. I mean, the data is coming out that the children in vaccine, I guess, twelve and above, is um, now considered fairly safe because they have a um, fair bit of data is overseas. And you, you have to understand, we are in a very fortunate position in some ways in Australia because. Um, we we look at what goes overseas, and then we're sort of like looking at what could happen in six months from now. So we we could rely on their experience. They're the ones having experiment, if anything, and we can fall back on their experience to guide us. Um, so I consider it a real blessing here, and I think the data is uh, that children are it's it's pretty safe to get in children Pfizer vaccine at least. Okay, Naomi, thank you so much for your call, and uh, let's take another call. John is in Tasmania. Hi, John. G'day, mate. Um, yeah, just a couple of things. Um, my uncle had um, coronavirus and he recovered. He's very well. He's fine. Um, my mother-in-law ha- had Pfizer um, and she's got face palsy. A friend had Pfizer and he had a heart attack shortly afterwards. Um, research coming out of Israel is showing those who have natural immunity from coronavirus um, are of less risk of rehospitalization compared to those with um, vaccine-induced immunity um, who are 13 times more likely um, to require hospitalisation after getting COVID post-vaccination. So this is new research that's literally come out in the last week from Israel. Um, And so this is a real challenge as well to um, going ahead. We have to remember the numbers. Eight out of 10 people have mild symptoms of getting COVID. 
Um, two out of those ten, yes, they might require hospitalisation. John, uh, lots of good statistics in there, and uh, you've made some good points. Uh, your thoughts, James? Okay, so um, quite a few things to talk about. First of all, um, again, it boils down to uh, efficacy of vaccine versus infection, right? So, yes, most people will recover, um, but there are three parts to that question first is if you get COVID-19 you could and if you're young you'll you you'll do you have very good chance you'll be fine but then we haven't really delved into long-term problems like fatigue muscle aches and pains permanent lung damage loss of smell that sort of thing and we don't know how long that'll go for some people have permanent damage as a result so even if you survive you have a problem with that um, and that's if you're young if you're old then the chance of getting nasty problems is much substantially higher. Second part is if you get infected, you could pass it on to someone else, especially as we come out of lockdown. And we all want to come out of lockdown. So that's at some point, that's the prospect we're looking at, which means then someone else who's more vulnerable could get sick. So let's say you're healthy, you decide not to get vaccine and you got virus. And then you go and visit someone who's vaccinated, your grandpa, and you pass it on. Yeah, your grandpas might be vaccinated, but as you rightly point out, the vaccine effect is not 100%. So there is a chance that he might get sick and he'll get very sick. So yes, vaccine is not perfect. So we have to also consider that possibility. Third thing is, you could pass it on to others, will then pass it on to others and so forth. And that's what's happening in New South Wales. So and that what that's going to do is that's going to put enormous amount of pressure in hospital system because yes um, most people will be fine but let's say five percent of people end up in hospital you might say that's not a lot but if you've got hundred thousand people in the community who's actively infected that's ten five thousand people occupying hospital bed that's that's a lot of you know hospital occupancy and ICU beds get filled up so then what happens to your grandpa who had a stroke or grand uncle who could have had a heart attack or friend who has a car accident so they're all going to be affected as a result of this problem so there are multiple levels in which it can affect you in terms of um, vaccine versus the virus you look natural immunity is probably always better than the vaccine but the problem with natural immunity is exactly the problem that I just outlined so is it better to get virus and have natural immunity and go through all the consequences or is it better to get vaccine and try to um, reduce the, all that problems that I just discussed and at the same time make sure that this uh, vaccine remains safe and then trying to find a way to make vaccine effective and that's why Israel is giving third dose. Yes, do we know the data on that? No, we don't, but I think we'll find out. Um, if vaccine is safe, is there a problem getting third dose? Probably not. Um, and as, as for your hospital infection rate, look, I mean, I think that's a valid point, but again, you, again, you got to uh, compare apple and orange. So what are you comparing 18 times or however many times against? So are you comparing against unvaccinated people or people who have had infection and recovered? And if you're comparing that against people who had infection and had recovered, then again, you assume you have to go through that infection to begin with. So again, it goes back to the original question. Okay. All right, John, thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call. Time's running short, but uh, an anonymous caller uh, calling through. Hello, uh, welcome along. Uh, I'm not able to take the call for whatever reason. Uh, here we go. Hopefully you got it in this time. No? Hello? Hello? Oh, I don't want to miss the caller. Something is amiss. Um, uh, I, I can... Can't just get you onto the air. Uh, something has happened there, so we won't be able to take the call. Uh, my apologies for not being able to take your call. Oh, we've got to draw things to a close, James. Uh, is there a, a final thought uh, that you might like to offer? I mean, it was quite controversial early on uh, when you suggested that the COVID vaccine 
maybe an answer to prayer. Uh, some people will be confronted by that idea. Others will be comforted by the idea. Uh, that's a conclusion that you've come to. Is there a final thought that we can leave with listeners today and perhaps around the idea of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia and the sort of thought that goes in amongst uh, those doctors who are a part of the fellowship and, and trying to grapple with some of these issues we've been talking about today? Yeah, um, I guess I could go back to the point about the fetal um, aborted fetal cell. Um, I uh, so we have done a podcast, uh, Dr. Megan Best, with um, uh, Neil uh, some months ago, and that's that's uh, that goes into a much greater depth. So that's a really good resource to listen to because I just literally just touched on it and that's it. Um, and um, I'd like to also just point out the fact that, for example, in Second World War, um, Nazis and Japanese have done pretty nasty, horrendous human experiment that should have never have happened, um, and and um, and so we obviously don't want to go there again, and that's clearly evil. But a lot of um, medical knowledge came out of that, and we have in some ways benefited from that. So I guess does that mean the entire medicine is now built upon tainted? hand therefore we should throw it all away or start all over again from animals and not go and repeat the same data or do we just use what we have and never repeat the same mistake but um, benefit from what they've done again it comes down to can God use evil to do good and I don't see I see a great example in Jesus and you know God brought our salvation uh, uh, um, by Jesus' death and resurrection and it's the people who crucified him did not have good intention they had terrible intentions, but God brought salvation through that. Well, you know, there is a deeper conversation to have around the idea of uh, natural or moral evil uh, when it comes to the uh, the virus itself and then what the response might be. And uh, I think we might have sparked a, a few thoughts there and listeners might like to do some more research on uh, just how a response comes from a Christian when it comes to uh, issues around vaccination and the coronavirus. Dr. James Ewan has been a guest over the past hour. Let me just mention the uh, the organisation, uh, the CMDFA. Uh, that's the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. There's, uh, uh, there's an opening there for uh, people who are uh, medical practitioners and people who are in nursing fields to connect, uh, people who are students in medicine uh, to be able to connect with the CMDFA. There is a website, cmdfa.org.au. I did note too that there is a CMDFA webinar that's coming up on the 18th of September, uh, 9 till 12.30, Faith Responses to the COVID Virus. No doubt, James, uh, you'd welcome uh, listeners today to our conversation to participate in that webinar. Now that one's coming up Saturday, 18th of September. Uh, you'll be able to get a link for that at the CMDFA website, cmdfa.org.au. Uh, and let me just mention the YouTube clip that you can see with Dr. James Yun. Now, you might like to check out James Yun and his presentation, a video presentation from the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. Uh, simply Google or uh, James Yun, Y-U-N, and you'll find that YouTube presentation. James, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with listeners today on 2020. Thank you, and God bless. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 